Friends, our scripture today comes to us from Luke chapter 10. Uh, and out of reverence for God and Jesus' words, I invite you to stand as you're able. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what's written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer, do this, and you will live. (laughs) But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, friends, it's good to be back. I want to say a special word of thanks to Connor and to Paul last week. I want to say... um, Thank you to the choir for beautiful, beautiful music today. And I also want to say thank you to you and to the choir for singing the middle hymn that I chose today. (laughs) I know it's not easy, but Charles Wesley words are important. And I thank you that you allowed me to select. You didn't have a choice. Uh, I'm thankful also that my family is here. Uh, My parents are here. Uh, from, from Nashville, and I've come here this weekend. A lot of you have asked if we have settled in our new house, and after yesterday, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're a lot more settled, and I'm thankful that they're here this morning. Friends, on August 26th this year, I'm excited to announce that Amazon Prime will be releasing a new movie starring Sylvester Stallone. As an old, washed-up superhero, who has been out of the game for 20 years. But when trouble hits his neighborhood and threatens the lives of the local kids, Stallone becomes vigilante again and starts serving serious pain to all those who would bring harm to others by specifically hitting them in the face with a large uh, hammer and stabbing them with their own weapons. And what is the name of this movie as well as Stallone's superhero, you ask? Samaritan. Now, I don't know about you, but that short summary of a story seems a little different than the parable it's named for, doesn't it? I mean, maybe there are some similarities between the two, but then again, in one tale, a man saves the vulnerable with violence, 
But in the original, a man saves the vulnerable with compassion and care. (laughs) One story tells the tale of evil that can only be silenced by vigilante justice. (laughs) The other tells a story of evil healed by initiative and kindness. And don't get me wrong, actually, Samaritan sounds like my kind of movie, and I have a feeling I will be watching it most likely by myself. I don't know that Adair will be up for it. She tells me that she's reached her superhero saturation point. Maybe some of you feel that way. (laughs) Meanwhile, I love a movie centered around a comeback and a superhero, especially one with Rocky in it. But I do question the title of the film and its main character. Is that really what a Samaritan is? Is that the same definition that the word Samaritan carries in the Gospel of Luke? Or in the ancient world, a man who takes vengeance with violence? What does it actually mean? Friends, so many of us have heard that story of the Good Samaritan that we just read. And along with the prodigal son, those two are probably the most well-known of the parables. And those of us who know this story have likely heard over many years that a Samaritan was a person of a rival religious group. The first century Jerusalem temple-worshiping Jews. Samaritans and Jews were pretty hostile to one another and to their holy sites. Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the proper place for the temple, while the Jews believed it to be in Jerusalem. There were some translation differences as well between the two groups as the Samaritans interpreted the Torah, that's the first five books, in a way that helped solidify their location of the temple. They also understood that everything after the Torah was not canon, whereas the Jews incorporated the histories and the prophets and the poetry and the Psalms. Oh, and also, by the way, both people groups took turns desecrating each other's holy spaces. And Samaritans were ultimately excluded from the Jerusalem temple. Now, a Samaritan would be especially well-known to anybody from Galilee because on the road to Jerusalem from Galilee, you had to pass through where? Samaria. And there on pilgrimage, Samaritans would occasionally heckle those who were on their way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has some success in Samaritan villages at points in his ministry, but he's got some issues that come up. In the chapter, just before this parable, Luke tells us that Jesus went into a Samaritan village, but they didn't receive him. The disciples ask him, you want us to call down fire from heaven on this horrible place? And Jesus says, no. (laughs) He rebukes them, and then they move along. They're rivals, these groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. Both groups treat each other as the other, the outsider. There is no belonging for one in their rival's camp. And in the mind of a first century Jew, the adjective good would never be found in front of the word Samaritan. Now, I admit it's difficult for me, I don't know about you, it's difficult for me to place myself in the midst of the centuries-long feud. I have very little concept of what it is to be a first-century Jew in Jerusalem. I don't know that I can picture what it feels like to argue about which temple is the real temple or which scripture is the real scripture or which people of God is the truly righteous chosen people of God. I don't, I don't have a concept of that. I do know what it is to hear Auburn and Alabama fans talk about each other. (laughs) I know what it is to be a Braves fan and to talk about Dodgers, but that's kind of justified because they are the worst. I have listened 
I have listened to Democrats and Republicans talk about the other with great disdain. I know what it's like to hear Christians talk about other Christians like that. And I've seen United Methodists talk about other United Methodists as if one is closer to the truth and the other is way out in left field. But even those aren't close enough. Scholar Amy Jill Levine says that to really get an image of the relationship of the Jew and the Samaritan relationship, you've got to ask yourself this. Listen to this. Is there anyone from any group about who I'd rather die than acknowledge? <laughs> More, she says, is there any group whose members might rather die than help me? If so, then we know how to find the modern equivalent for the Samaritan. Now, as I said earlier, Jesus is, is turned away from a Samaritan village in the chapter prior. And right after that, it says he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And from here until chapter 19, Luke is in the midst of what scholars have called the travel narrative. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And most of us know what's going to take place there. Now on the way, he sends 70 people out to preach and heal in the surrounding towns, and the results are amazing. It's incredible. The Spirit's moving. And upon their return, he gathers them up for a prayer meeting. And Jesus rejoices with them, crying out to God. This is what Jesus says. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to these little ones. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure... At this point, a nearby scholar or Pharisee perks up at the mention of the wise and the learned because not long after we read that an expert in the law stands up to test Jesus and his question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A question to test Jesus. The Greek for test can also mean to tempt, to put on trial. He stands up to test Jesus. Now, what does that tell you? What it indicates to me is that this guy probably doesn't care to know what Jesus actually thinks on the subject, does he? I don't think he's trying to have a dialogue, a back and forth, a conversation. He's trying to test Jesus. Why? What kind of test? Well, I think he's trying to label him. I think he's trying to figure out whose side Jesus is on. The Pharisees and lawyers are really content with litmus test kind of questions for Jesus throughout the Gospels, trying to trap Jesus in one wrong answer so they can dismiss him. You remember some of them? Jesus, whose money is this? God's or Caesar's? <laughs> Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, if a woman is married several times in life, who is her husband after? <laughs> and in all these questions, the object is not engagement. It's all about identifying an easy way to disengage. After all, a litmus test is a test in which a single factor is decisive, where if you hear the one thing you're looking for, you're good or you're gone. Adair and I recently moved into our new house, and as we were searching around Noonan for our home, our litmus test was simple. It was this question, does it have more than one bathroom? <laughs> if the answer was no, our mind was made up before we even set foot in the house, and man, I'm glad we made the right decision. It's been great for our marriage. He's trying... To test Jesus. The scribe has the right answer in his mind already and he's trying to bait him. He's trying to figure out if Jesus thinks the same thing he does or if Jesus is wrong. <laughs> but it is typical of Jesus, isn't it, that he answers a question with what? 
a question. Jesus doesn't fall for this kind of thing. He knows that this lawyer doesn't actually care to understand his mind and his thoughts and his heart. He only wants to figure out if Jesus is on his side or not. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, what is written? And the lawyer says, love God and love neighbor. Straight out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Straight out of the Torah. And Jesus responds, great, good answer. Do this and you'll live. But this is when it gets interesting. The lawyer needs a little bit more. He gears up for another question to justify himself, maybe also to get Jesus. He asks Jesus, who? Who is my neighbor? After all, Jesus, some interpreting the law tell us that a neighbor is my fellow Israelite. But we also know that it it says to always love the immigrant as well. So who is my neighbor? Do you hear the implicit question? Who is not my neighbor? And Jesus tells his story about a man beaten and left for dead, a priest and a Levite. Both religious leaders see the man and pass by, but a Samaritan sees the man and has compassion. He helps the man up, gets him to an end, bandages his wounds, gives the manager some money, and goes on his way. And Jesus finishes the story by asking the lawyer this question, which of these folks in the story was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and robbed and left in a ditch? And this Jewish lawyer can't dare to answer the Samaritan. Do you notice that? Have you ever noticed that? He can't even say it. He can't say the Samaritan, not in front of his buddies, not in front of his party or his tribe. He can only say the one who showed him what? Mercy. And Jesus replies, go and do likewise. Go and share mercy and grace. Take care of your fellow human, whether they're Jewish or Samaritan, whether they think the same or not, go and show mercy. That is how you love God. And that is how you love neighbor. <laughs> Man, Jesus knows how to answer a question. <laughs> I'm, I'm in awe constantly of Jesus' rhetorical ability. He's not a fool. He doesn't fall for simple tricks, especially with the scribes. He's not a person who lets anyone work him into a tight spot. Nobody puts Jesus in a corner. Jesus finds a way for the one who asks the question to also be the one who answers. Because Jesus loves to ask a good question. Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, says, your preparation for the real world is not in the answers you've learned, but in the questions you've learned how to ask. And Jesus knows that there's nothing, there's nothing really like a good question. And so he's tested by this lawman who probably wants to trap him, And Jesus manages to make this religious leader who disagrees with the Samaritans, who knows where the true temple is, who knows what the true scripture is, Jesus gets him to admit that his neighbor is a Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Feels like Jesus flips the question and asks this man, who are you to be a neighbor to? Scribe asks, how well do you know the law? What side are you on? And Jesus asks, whose side are you on? How well do you know the law. I can almost hear Jesus saying, you're asking me questions of interpretation, trying to label me as one of your own or not, and I'm asking you a question of practicality and care for your fellow human being. If I am to choose a side, I choose the side of mercy and grace and healing. (laughs) And in a world trying to figure out how to interact between tribes, both of whom despise each other, 
It turns out that in God's economy, in God's politics, there is far less recognition of Samaritan versus Jew and much more recognition of one human showing another human mercy. No theological battle in this story. There's no pitting one person against another. There is simply mercy. In John Wesley's notes on this story, he writes this. I want you to hear this. He says, Let us renounce that bigotry and party zeal which would contract our hearts into an insensibility for all the human race, save for a small number whose sentiments and practices are so much our own that our love to them is but self-love reflected. Wesley says, with an honest openness of mind, let us always remember the kindred between man and man and cultivate that happy instinct whereby in the original constitution of our nature, God has strongly bound us to each other. Wesley's telling us that we need to drop our tribal labels, our systemic labels, our political labels. Wesley says it's time to pick up kingdom labels. Drop the litmus test trying to figure out whose side I'm on and pick up the mercy test. Am I merciful? Be careful, he says, Wesley, about putting yourself in an echo chamber. Remember that you are in the tribe of humanity and God has surely bound us tightly to one another. After all, we are all children made in the image of God which makes us family. Teacher, who is My neighbor. William Barclay says this, Any man of any nation who is in need is our neighbor, and our help must be as wide as the love of God. Another scholar says this, To love God is to love neighbor is to love God. (laughs) This ongoing flow of love allows eternal life to begin even now. Who is my neighbor? (laughs) One of... Our community organizations and our ministry partners in this community is the Coweta Samaritan Clinic. Many of you know it started by Dr. Kay Crosby and a team of others. Coweta Samaritan Clinic exists to provide primary medical care as well as specialized health care through partners all under one roof and free of charge to those who need it. Kelly Hines, member here, is their executive director And she told me recently that when the original planning committee was talking about the purpose and need of the clinic, they wanted to ensure that God was at work and at the center of all they were doing through healthcare, through connection to resources, and through the image of the Samaritan. (laughs) Kelly told me this week that the Samaritan clinic is here to extend the mercy of God. And she told me a little bit about what it's like to work there. She said, one of the things that I've experienced at the Samaritan Clinic is that the staff and volunteers are so focused on each person who walks through that door. They're focused on the health and welfare of each person who comes from me, but most of all, they are committed to making sure that each individual feels worthy of care. Kelly said, you can't imagine how many people walk into this clinic feeling unworthy to be cared for. To to feel unworthy to be even touched. But at the Samaritan Clinic, we're not going to leave you on the side of the road. We're not going to leave you in a ditch. Because everyone is worthy of care. Now friends, I don't know about you, but it haunts me 
to think that there might be someone who believes that they are unworthy to be cared for. I don't know about you, but it makes my heart heavy when I think that someone in our neighborhood might feel alone and hopeless and unworthy of compassion. And I'm left wondering how many times I've walked past someone in a ditch on the side of the road because I was too busy or I didn't know what to do or I just wondered if I even had the capability to care for them. Dorothy Day says this, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love neighbor. And who is my neighbor? When Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this story, he he looked at the priest and the Levite, And he said, when seeing the man in need on the side of the road, those two thought to themselves, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan came by and he thought this, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Friends, may you be haunted by the moments you step to the other side of the street And then may you forgive yourself. (laughs) And then may you move to be showers of mercy. May you be hounded by good questions that stick with you and make you think. May you always surround yourself with curious people who think in new and interesting ways. May you be great showers of mercy. And may you love God as much as the person you love the least. And may that person receive such love and care that they might know that they are worthy of such a thing. That they're worthy of mercy. Let us pray. Gracious God, this morning I'm thankful for so many things. I'm thankful for Jesus, for mercy. I'm thankful that you have called us worthy. I'm thankful that you have created us in your image to be bearers of that image of mercy and grace. God, may we love this world, love our fellow human beings as much as we can, and may everyone we come into contact with know that they are worthy of mercy. In Jesus' name.